Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. My message today is simply called Greatness with a question mark. Uh, what do we think about when we think about greatness? And uh, I know we can think about, uh, you know, heavyweight champions saying, I am the greatest. Or we, we think of our sporting heroes in terms of their greatness. Uh, and, and often we're thinking in terms of power. We're thinking in terms of achievement. Uh, we're thinking in terms of, you know, being the best, being the strongest. But Jesus always turns the tables, doesn't he? Matthew 18 and 1 at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the disciples were obviously having a discussion that prompted this question of Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's a really interesting question and it's an important question. So what is it then that constitutes greatness from God's perspective? What makes somebody great in the eyes of God? What makes somebody significant in the kingdom of heaven? I don't want to be unfair to the disciples this morning, but uh, these guys are so much like you and I are. Here they were living every single day in the presence of Jesus himself. And yet they got so caught up arguing about stuff that ultimately doesn't matter. In fact, they got so caught up often in stuff that didn't matter that they often missed the stuff that did matter. In Luke 9 and 44, Jesus said to his disciples, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, so they didn't grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them was the greatest. I mean, how preoccupied are these guys with this issue? Jesus has just told them that he's going to be betrayed. They didn't get it. Maybe part of the reason they didn't get it was because they were arguing amongst themselves about stuff that doesn't matter. And this particular question is obviously something that was front and center for the disciples. Friends, can I challenge us this morning that we've got to be so careful to guard against getting totally preoccupied with the stuff that matters to us, that we miss the stuff that matters to God. And again, here are the disciples with Jesus. And on this occasion, this is in the upper room, the night was that Jesus was betrayed, what we call the Last Supper in Luke 20, 22 and 19. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be that would do this. Verse 24, a dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was considered to be greatest. And we've got this repetitive theme, this preoccupation of the disciples with who was the greatest. And it's incredible because here they are in this moment with Jesus sharing this Last Supper. I mean, how offensive would it be if we took communion in this setting today? We received the emblems, we sat down and then we immediately turned to one another and say, Hey, did you see the, uh, see the footy last night? How good was it? Uh, and we start having a discussion about something that is totally unrelated to what's going on in the room. And yet this is exactly what the disciples were doing. He's just told them he's going to die. And he does within 24 hours. He's just told them one, of them, one of you will betray me. And they discuss among themselves which one of them it's going to be. But then they immediately move from which one of us is the worst to which one of us is the greatest. And then here in our key text today in Matthew 18, they come to Jesus and they say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And they're probably hoping in that point that Jesus will give them his top 10 list and they're hoping that their name will be included in Jesus' top 10. But he actually shocked them by having a little child come and stand among them. Again, Matthew 18 and 3, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's important for us to understand something of the culture of the day, which would make this particular object lesson of Jesus humiliating for the disciples and even offensive. Because in Jesus' day, very clearly, children were seen and not heard. Children in Jewish society had absolutely no status at all. It was a patriarchal society, totally dominated by men. Uh, remember, there's a couple of accounts. First of all, the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, Matthew 14 and 21, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, uh, plus the, the, um, you know, the women and the kids. Another occasion, Jesus fed a large crowd. We have this report, Matthew 15 and 21. The number of those who ate was 4,000 beside the, the women and children. And in the culture of the day, the status of women and children was always in context of the status of men. Men were the dominant patriarchs. Women and children were inconsequential. Women and children in Jesus' day were marginalised and this is why Jesus was such a game changer because he always challenged the status quo. He always challenged the system. Jesus was the most incredible advocate for the culturally marginalised and he constantly broke the mould as far as Jewish law was concerned. He constantly broke the mould as far as culture was concerned. And we see it so clearly in the nature of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus that in, in the way that he, he gave dignity to women and to kids. And, and again, it was just a game changer. 
So to make a point in this context with the disciples, Jesus shocks them when they're talking about the greatest by bringing a child to stand in the room. Matthew 8, 10 and 2, he called a little child, had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, we need to be careful to understand that Jesus is not talking about childishness. He's talking about childlikeness. And childlikeness is something that we need to grab a hold of. I, I was absolutely blown away by what Sarah shared at the start because she had no idea what I was going to be preaching on. But we have become conditioned that we are supposed to grow out of childlikeness. We see childhood as a state of immaturity that we want to outgrow and leave behind. But the interesting thing is that Jesus says to his disciples that if you want to grow and mature as a disciple, part of that maturity is that you need to grow in to childlikeness. There's a great danger, I think, for the church. And that's this. We become too adult. We haven't this morning. We've just done a race with plastic mowers. Which is really cool. And again, it punctuates the message this morning. But the church can really fall into a trap if we become too adult. For a child, as Sarah so beautifully pictured this morning, life is curiosity. Life is adventure. A child doesn't have it all worked out. A child is keen to learn and discover. It's why they bring a worm into a classroom. A child takes things at face value. A child experiences emotions that adults sadly seem to grow out of like awe and wonder and amazement. And when the church becomes too adult in our thinking and our practice, we become predictable, we become self-reliant, we become full of regulations and we can become sadly very, very religious. And what Jesus wants for the church is what He wanted to see in the disciples he wants us to have this childlike spirit of dependency and wonder and humility and curiosity and trust and joy and fun. You know, there's a reason 80% of decisions for Jesus are made before the age of 14. And it's not because children are easily fooled and gullible. It's because they haven't learned yet to overthink stuff. And adults are so good at overthinking stuff. We have this demand for rational explanation. And for kids, that hasn't yet got in the way of the exercise of simple faith in a God who cannot be explained in a quantifiable, objective way. Hebrews 11 and 1, what is faith? It is the confident assurance that something we want is going to happen. It is the certainty that what we, what we are hoping for is waiting for us, even though we can't see it up ahead. Men of God in days of old were famous for their faith. By faith, by believing God, we know that the world and the stars, in fact, all things were made at God's command. And they were all made from things that can't be seen. And friends, children have this wonderful capacity to trust in what is not seen, to believe in something when it's not measurable or has no rational explanation. 
And you know, wonder, this, this sense of wonder is actually one of the joys of childhood. A sense of wonder and awe. And sadly, I, I just want to ask, why do we lose that as adults? Why do we lose that sense of wonder as adults? It seems that as we mature, we settle into patterns of behaviour and thinking, uh, you know, based on, yeah, just past experience, based on cultural conditioning. And it seems that our culture kills wonder. We seem to think, well, we're smarter than all of that. We know too much and we dissect everything. We analyse everything. We put it under the microscope. We try to describe everything so precisely that there's nothing left for us to have a sense of wonder about. And then we become indifferent and, and even sceptical about the things that should cause wonder within us. And I love this occasion in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus had been with Peter, James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then they came back and rejoined the other nine disciples. But a crowd had also gathered. And we have this report in Mark 9 and 15. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet Him. Can I ask us this morning, have we lost our sense of wonder about Jesus? When we come to church on a Sunday morning to open the Word of God and sing the praises of God, do we actually get excited as we come? Is there an anticipation that we're going to meet with God today in a fresh way? We're going to meet with God today in a way that we know if my heart is open, God is going to speak to me. Or has it just become routine for us? Is it just what we do on a Sunday morning? Now, there's another occasion where the, the man was beautifully healed at the temple gate called Beautiful in Acts chapter 3. And it tells us that a crowd gathered very, very quickly. Verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and leaping and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And again, here's the question. When was the last time you were filled with wonder and amazement at the things that God was doing? When were you last filled with awe? Have you lost the wonder? And, and I think way too often we can sit in a place like this and we can lose that sense of wonder. And sadly in the church... Uh, people who lose that sense of wonder and then end up becoming quite sceptical uh, also tend to become quite hard-hearted hard and legalistic. And they're looking for every I to be dotted, every T to be crossed. And that's often the pattern of legalism. And then it comes from that a critical spirit. And I think the one, one of the saddest things as we mature in life is that we're no longer astonished, we're no longer amazed, we're no longer filled with wonder at God and what God is doing. And Jesus says to the disciples, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What is it that characterizes a child? Well, friends, when a child is born, it is totally 100% dependent. And yet, as adults, we need to understand that it is our self-sufficiency that can develop pride. And it's the opposite of humility and dependence, dependence which produces humility. 
And Jesus said, you've got to humble yourself like a child. And humility in a child is so incredibly evident because they're totally dependent upon somebody else. When a child is born, they can do nothing for themselves. It's incapable of supplying its own nutrition or its own nourishment, its own clothing or providing its own shelter and warmth. The child wakes up every day uh, with no way of putting food on the table, no way of clothing itself. And it never enters its head that its parent will fail to provide these things for it because a child trusts the parent. And the humility of a child is so clearly in, illustrated in its total dependence upon its parents. But here's how life works. As we grow and mature in life, it's about growing and maturing from dependence as a child to independence as an adult. And then one day a child finally says, well, thank you very much. I'm out of here now. I'm going to go and live on my own. And whilst there is always a sense of sadness attached to that, it also means that as parents, we've done a, a successful job because that's what parents do for their children. They teach them to become independent. But then spiritually, Jesus tells us it's the reverse process. We learn to move from an independent spirit to total and utter dependence on God as the one who directs our paths, the one who provides our resources. And greatness in the kingdom is the opposite of greatness in the world. Greatness in the world is marked by independence and self-sufficiency. Greatness in the kingdom of God is marked by Humility. Greatness in the world is marked by independence. Greatness in the kingdom of God is marked by total dependence. Greatness in the world is marked by your strength. Greatness in the kingdom of God is, is marked by an awareness of your own weakness. Greatness in the world is marked by confidence. Greatness in the kingdom of God is marked by vulnerability. And it's a completely opposite way of living. I'm going to invite the team to come back as we close. And this is exactly why Jesus took a little child, totally surprised his disciples, probably offended them a little bit, and said, unless you become like this child. And friends, the reality is you can never be too simple for God, but you can be too clever for God. You can never be too poor for God, but you can be too rich for God. You can never be too weak for God, but you can be too strong for God. And I can say that confidently because Jeremiah chapter 9 says this. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. Why? Because you can be too smart. You can be too strong. You can be too rich. But let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me. And that's why when the disciples asked Jesus, who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus' answer was not an illustration of greatness, but an illustration of humility. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And one of the defining characteristics, friends, of your life and my life as a Christian should be humility. James 4 and 10, humble yourself before the Lord. He will lift you up. 
1 Peter 5 and 6, Humble yourself therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up. Matthew 23 and 12, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And friends, all of this is incredibly countercultural, but that's the whole point. Can I hear an amen this morning? Greatness in the kingdom of God is marked by a childlike humility, a childlike wonder, a childlike awe, a childlike trust, a childlike faith, and a childlike dependence. Friends, may we never ever lose this, but understand and strive for true greatness from God's perspective found in humility and dependence. That makes sense this morning. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, on this Father's Day that we can understand, God, uh, something remarkable about your kingdom, which is so countercultural. The greatness, in fact, is not found in strength, but in humility. And, and Father, I pray that this message today would, would just grow in us, Lord, that we'd be reminded about that. That certainly, God, that you would equip us by your Holy Spirit to live counterculturally, to live in total dependence upon you, recognizing that's our greatest place of strength. Not in my capacity, but in your capacity. And Father, I pray that we can somehow recapture that childlike sense of awe and curiosity and wonder and amazement, all of these things which seem to be so lacking as we mature as adults. Give to us that childlike curiosity that brings a worm into a classroom, but a curiosity about the things of God. Forgive us, Lord, when we make our relationship with you at times a rational process. It's not. Father, we trust in an unseen God to do supernatural things. Nothing rational about that at all from a human perspective. And you're over all and you're above all. We place our faith in a supernatural God who functions above the normal, functions above the everyday. May we stand in awe of you and live our lives in total dependence upon you. May we recapture that, that excuse me, that childlikeness that Jesus showed us today. We pray this in his name. Amen.